You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from the fields of Trenzalore, where the doctor stands. Vocal fam. Hello. Good morning. It has been so long. It has been. There have well, been... Well, it's actually... Has it only been two weeks? Well, I mean, yes. But, but also... The last time you and I did an episode, though... No, it's been a long time. It's been a crazy... What a chaotic season was of a, life. Was a very long time ago. You're not wrong. Um, little... We're going to we're gonna do an episode um, about some... Um, new avenues some considerations about repertoire selection today indeed uh so just know that that that's coming um but just a little bit of catch up sarah like how how's how's having a baby um it's wonderful it is also a lot less sleep than i am accustomed to or would prefer (laughs) but He's wonderful. It's it's funny how I don't think I realized just how quickly truly babies change and learn. I mean, you know, in the course of 3 days, he'll discover some new skill and master it. Yeah. And that's just wild to me. Or but then at the same time like like 2 weeks ago, he discovered his tongue. And for 48 hours, he was constantly sticking his tongue out as far as it would go at you. And if you stuck your tongue out back at him, he was delighted. It was, it was a whole thing. But 48 hours, done. Moved on. Old news. Don't care about the tongue anymore. But then this week, all of a sudden again, he's like, hey, guys, have y'all, have y'all seen this? Are, you remember I know how to do this? And he's sticking his tongue out again. And I'm like, yep, it's still there. <laughs> Congrats. So it's wild. Oh, this is fun. this is music related. So I, um, you know, I'll sit him at the piano to like bang on the keys and stuff, and I'll kind of play along. And I've gotten to where I'm like, you know what? I may as well be practicing, even if it's a little distracting and not the best practice. It's better than nothing. Yeah. Except that you gotta a take few advantage d- of moments as you have. Them. I do. I do. As a new parent, I, I well, know. a few days into that, I discovered that if I sing any song that has like any sort of sustained notes, okay, he will try to sing a, sing in quotation marks along, which is basically ah. Yeah, he babbles along with you. That's awesome. And I'm like, oh, thanks, bud. That's awesome. <laughs> that's yep. great, though. I mean, that's. I mean, yeah, it's it's impressive. That's, it's that's early communication. That's not early on pitch or anything, but that's early communication development. That's awesome. Yeah, it's good for him, I assume. But it's it's very funny. He's what, like four months, three he months? He has four months. Four, four months. Um, he's been babbling for a while, but it's very mm-hmm. funny to see him be like, "Oh, are we doing this now? We're yeah. th- okay, got it." Ah. Yeah. He also, we've discovered, we thought at first that he had a real penchant for Sondheim. It's not Sondheim. It is Josh Groban's voice. Oh, well, okay. Yeah, specifically. Or he seems to, uh, the musicals that he seems to really enjoy are also Wicked and Hamilton. And I'm not mad. So basically you're saying he's like just into popular stuff. Well, Jamie claims he likes Celtic music, but... Because that's how he puts him to sleep at night is like Celtic stuff. Interesting. But the music we've discovered he doesn't like at all is anything classical. Doesn't like it. Won't put up with it. Not for a moment. Uh, And oh, what was the other thing I thought he would enjoy? 
and he he did not. Uh, you know what? I think it was some of the music from Into the Woods. Oh well, he he would not would not tolerate it. Had Josh Groban been singing Into maybe, the Woods, maybe maybe then, maybe then, but maybe. no. So anyway, weird times. It's it's a lot, but it's yeah. fun. It's interesting. It's, yeah. yeah, it makes me appreciate, though, also the moments where I am out functioning, talking to other people uh, it, about it does. things that are not, I don't know, <laughs> body functions of a baby. It, which is really all you talk about as a young parent. As it turns out. Yep. Did not know you could talk about poop quite that much. Nope, I remember. Yeah, anyway. And, and, and drool. And, and drool. Boogers. So much. So much yep. drool. I remember. Has he gotten so with the teething thing? Has he gotten like the little sinus infectiony stuff that they get with? Uh, he's the been nose a little more running. congested. Yeah. So his nose hasn't been running. It's just like a little congested, yeah. which I couldn't decide if that was teething or if that was just pollen. Because we take him outside a good bit, and it's the south, and yeah. I figure he's gonna have allergies. Because who? Japanese magnolias bloomed, and after that, it's just it's all, all over. It's all over. It's all over. As soon as I see this tree outside my office, bloom, you know. Like, well, and then right now at school, we've had a COVID outbreak, so. Oh, see, I didn't even. I'm telling you, I know nothing. Yeah. I know nothing. We have multiple people in singers out with. COVID. I'm in my little office, and it's just its own little insulated well, world. Just be aware that there's a COVID outbreak currently going on on campus. Good to know. Any students are like, oh, it's just a no. Get out. Well, it's go get a rapid. Well, that too. Fortunately, the one who was in rehearsal with us for Wizards, we have a show on Monday night. Woo! New York stage. And fortunately, she was masked. But ah, I, I literally looked at her okay. at the end of rehearsal and I said, how you feel? She said, I'm really tired. I said, have you gotten a rapid yet? She's like, no. And then she goes, but this is how I felt the last time I had COVID. I like, was well, like, why don't you? Yeah, you need to. I had another student walk into my office, hmm. just said, my throat kind of hurts. You can kind of hear it in my voice. I said, have you, had a, have you had a rapid? This person did not have a mask on. Yeah. And I said, have you had a rapid? He goes, yeah, no. I said, get out of my office. Yeah. And also, it's so and easy to just he was buy. positive. It's so easy just to buy like a little at home test. I, I'm, this is what I'm saying. Like I just keep them. We just keep them on hand so that. Yes. You just, I, I mean, I wish that I could do an at-home test for all kinds of, like, I wish I could give myself an at-home flu test, an at-home well, strep test. Well, it's funny well, when I, be hard. when I had the flu and vocal fan, let me tell you, my January and February have been. That's part of it. You have been, you were ill in addition to being <sighs> busy. My January and February, I haven't had a day off since Christmas. Talk about a fever dream. Christmas was the last time I had a day off. I I have the day off tomorrow. Oh, you mean Saturday? Yes. It's Saturday. The last time I had a day off, period, was Christmas Day. That's the last day I did not work all day. Oh, no. That's not Yes, tomorrow is a Saturday. I've worked every Saturday since Christmas. I've worked every Sunday since Christmas. not healthy. I've stopped sleeping. Nope, that's not... Mm. I haven't slept since Christmas. You know, most people wouldn't recommend that. Um, it's interesting. I crossed a line where I've been so busy the last two months and week mm-hmm. that my body just adapted to the fact that I... That you don't sleep anymore? I don't sleep anymore. I don't rest I anymore. I don't sit anymore. I don't eat meals at home anymore. I... I feel like there's a word for that, but it's probably not a good word. Um, and it's interesting. My body just adapted. I, I haven't felt stressed at all. Not once. 
Okay. I haven't felt run down at all. Other than the like dying. I haven't. I haven't been felt dying. You had the flu for like well, almost a month. So then I got sick, and and didn't know I had the flu. Had no idea. Was out of town for a week with the flu, unbeknownst to me. Came home. Went into rehearsals. Got all the blocking. At least you. Went home, stopped going to rehearsals for three days, got a Zofluza on day 12 after testing positive for influenza B. Worst respiratory illness I've ever had in my entire life. Was out of rehearsal for three days, tried to go back for three days, kind of firmed up the blocking. Yeah. Tried to come back to work, was such a mess, texted for an emergency stroboscopy. I was like, I don't even care if you people look at my cords. I just need a camera up up my nose and down my throat so I can look at my cords. Sure. Because I was afraid I had hemorrhaged. Had not. Was on the verge, but had not. My otolaryngologist colleague who we researched with, Dr. Schweinfurth, John came in and looked at my cords and he goes, I, I need you to go home and go to bed. That's just, that's those that your option is that or something far worse. So then I was out of rehearsal another three days, and then I still couldn't sing for two days after that. It was 23 days I couldn't phonate. That's alarming. And even while I was at home, I was working the whole time mm. on opera stuff. Mm. So not rest. No. So anyway, I just got to a point where it was just like, oh, well, this is just, you know, I, I would come home at night. I would pack up my supplements and my lunch for the next day. I would sure. iron my shirt for the next day. I would go to bed and I would get back up and I would do the whole thing over again. And uh, it was, um, and seven days a week of that. It was. Um, Sounds terrifyingly like the last three months of my time in Atlanta. And you handled it better than I did. Yeah, it's interesting. I just entered this state of like, oh, this is fine. Well, Jamie definitely tells that like during that time, he said I would come home from work, I would get in the doorway, I would I would lay down on the ground and just cry for about fifteen minutes, and then I'd be like, okay, that's that was my crying for the day, and I'd get up and I would just keep going till I, it was time to go to bed. I, th- I think the dangerous thing about the difference in our personality types is I actually kind of thrived in the in this. Hey, I, someone's gotta. It's not me. And like, I. I think I feel mentally healthier than I've felt in years. That's that's good. I, I applaud it, it, people that can live, that can do that. Because I, I look and I do wonder. I'm like, it, it must be a certain kind of personality because it's not mine. Yeah. I th- you know, I don't know. Anyway. So it's been it's been an interesting ride running an opera company, trying to be a professor at the same time. Uh, also performing in 18 performances show. of yeah. Seeger Garden. Which are, which are wrapped and, and, and directing a show. Yes. Our, our show on Monday, I'm directing, and that's going to be wrapped. Never mind also producing the other show that we're doing. And, and then, as it turns out, making probably the most major life decision we've made in well, some you time. Know, we haven't touched on that in the, all of this. Yeah. So it's, it's been a little chaotic, a little crazy. It's been interesting. Wild. But so that's kind of our life updates, Vocal Fam. I'd like to try to maybe, like, the, the only thing that I have actually kept up with before we dive into this topic, the only thing that I've kept up with has been um, Halo. I am fully, oh. I am fully caught up on Halo, even yesterday's Halo, um, which I watched in bed last night at like ten o'clock at night, yeah. just laying there. 
And so I watched this week's Halo. Woo. Um, it is fantastic. If you've not played the game, I would not watch it because you I wouldn't mean, think I've it was fantastic. Um, but uh, it is. Av- season one was good. Season two has been phenomenal. Anyway, Jimmy but and uh, I have been trying our thing that we've been. I say trying to keep up with um, is the live action Avatar: The Last Airbender. There are people out there excited about that. Yeah, there I are. I haven't started. Um, well, at the rate we're going, it's probably going to take us until the next season drops. So you know, a few years. Because we have been able to watch it in like 10 to 15 minute increments because for all of the TV shows that Henry likes and will put up with us watching in the background, like he's not really watching, but you know, the sounds don't bother him. Avatar is not one of those, not the live action. I will say too, if you haven't watched it yet, admittedly, we have only made it through one episode. Took us a week. Um, It is definitely adult. Like, Sure. Because all the kids who watched it are now adults. Yeah, but I... Personally, my I, I am enjoying it, but I was looking for the cartoon and Fluffy. I was not prepared to watch someone. I don't think I'm spoiling anything. You literally watch someone get burned alive in the first episode. Sure. Pretty quickly. So you know, oh, I'm just saying, like, if you were like, oh, I want to share this with my children, this might not be the way to do it. Sure. Um, sure. Because it's a lot. But sure. we're going to get there, guys. We're, we're going to finish this show. My wife and I, just as we try to get ourselves ready for bed and I answer emails, sure. have been watching, uh, have gone back to, because we are not in a place where we could watch something that actually needed our focus. Attention, sure. So we've actually been rewatching Community. Ah, oh, I love it. Which is just. I've wanted to rewatch that. I don't know. First, I don't know how they got away with that on TV. Although, if Family Guy can be on TV, I yeah. guess you can get away with Community. But I think Family Guy gets away it's with so much because so it's a cartoon. But with Community, like where the line was I, that I, Chevy I, Chase I, gets. I, I like, don't know where the line was, but and yet it was somehow kind of there. But what a remarkably caring show. Truly. At the same time. Anyway, all right, Vogel Fam. Let's talk about. Let's talk about Rep. Let Let us talk about Rep. Okay. Let me frame this out for you. <laughs> um, I've been in, in in voice pedagogy degrees that I've been leading for my whole career now, basically. I have been teaching repertoire selection courses since I started doing that. Sure. And when I say repertoire selection, I mean courses in selecting repertoire by style, different things, and I'm gonna give you a history here in a second, of of how to choose repertoire for pedagogic value for mm-hmm. singers. You took this course I as did. a graduate student. Loved it, really appeals to that like little part of my brain that loves like lists and organizing and classifying. Yeah, and um, you know, there's a history of this in, in voice teaching. Mm-hmm. If we go back to um, Dosher and, and Nix's studio to stage, the, bo- the book Barbara was working on that John then finished about repertoire selection. If we go back to even like some of the Burton Coffin repertoire books um, uh, that had like some translations in them and, and, and things of that nature, or, or even if we go, I mean, like, uh, more recently, Chris Arneson's um, Literature for Teaching that um, Scott McCoy published through Inside Voice, Inside View. Um, 
there, there is a history of, of these sort of texts. I mean, and in a way, while not maybe like specific about like how to choose repertoire, even like repertoire guides like Fisher D. Scouse Book of Leader mm. or, or the, the Bible that is Pierre Bernac's interpretation sure. of French song. I mean, it's not like there aren't plenty of resources ab- out there. Out there. But so let me give you some some history. When I was a doctoral student mm-hmm. and then in my first academic appointment at the doctoral pedagogy degree that I created at that school, all of that music at that time we were studying was Western classical canon. Sure. I mean, that's what my song rep cl- was. Still here. Yes. Yeah. Um. In those days, I was teaching these as one-credit seminar courses. Okay. And, like, we would only meet one time a week for, like, 50 minutes. hmm And they would have weekly assignments. And it was divided by base. And it was basically only, in those days, only looking at art songs mm-hmm. in a specific language. Sure. And we would just go by composer and we would all bring in Haydn songs one week, and then we'd all bring in Mozart songs one week, and we'd all yeah. bring in Schubert songs one week, and we'd all bring in Schumann songs one week. Or if it was the French semester, we'd bring in Poulenc and you know what, whatever, whatever, so whatever. So on so forth. Yeah. When I came here nine years ago, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Um, I adapted all of those into one single three-credit graduate repertoire class where, again, still focused on Western classical music. And still really a week at a time. Except we met twice a week and we fit all languages of art song into one semester. We did. It was impressive. So we had a number of weeks devoted to, like, Italian and Spanish song repertoire. Well, and I was... That's true, because we didn't all bring in songs from one composer we each would take a composer and bring in yeah in those years i was like assigning different students different composers to look and add songs to a database yeah look i still use that sure i it is so helpful honestly and so over the you know seven years i was at wvu and the nine years i've been here Mm -hmm. the 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 we've been building a database that is actually um, the classical database now has... It is expansive. You know, over 1,100 songs in it. It it is incredibly useful just because of the way we it's broken down. Yeah, and... So uh, uh, let me finish the history, and yeah. then and then we can we, we'll talk about more specifics of stuff and, and whatever and some other angles. But so a number of years ago, mm-hmm. now, gosh, probably I guess probably like pandemic time. Sounds right. I wow, was that was four years ago. I was like reconsidering what our master's degree needed to look like in voice pedagogy. Sure. And I guess I'm going to be reconsidering what graduate degrees need to look like at a different school here soon kind of exciting yeah um but one of the changes that i realized that we needed to make to the repertoire class Mm -hmm. was 
it, it had just become obvious to me that like just considering how to pick classical repertoire mm-hmm. did not even match how I was teaching pedagogy anymore. Yeah. Or, like, yes. like, like the pedagogy courses had multiplistic styles represented in how we teach pedag- how we teach voice. Well, and in your studio, even like your yes. literal voice teaching is and not. Yeah, my voice teaching is multiplistic focused. I've I've got contemporary singers who who are focused on more rock pop singing. I've got musical theater singers, of course, and and, yeah. th- and then we have people who are are cross training, like yourself, and 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 whatever, you know. And of course, I do still pr- predominantly in my private studio, but actually even here, although very few of my classical singers aren't at least also singing musical theater. True. Um, like I don't think I have anybody who's not at least also singing musical theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the repertoire class was not matching the singing in the studio. It wasn't matching the pedagogy. Well, also what your students are going on to then teach their students. Cause like my studio Correct. by comparison is honestly more and more. I would say I teach students that mostly want to sing commercial music who also teach, who also do a lot of them sing music theater Right, and then I, I they usually have to sing some classical. Right, but you're not like doing a lot of French melody. No, not at all, because they're. I'm teaching a lot of Spanish folk songs. Sure, 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 sure. And and we need to talk about. I do want to address like the the issue of singing in a foreign language. Yeah. Today. Uh, uh, or I say a lot. Uh, let me rephrase the what I just said. Not foreign language. A language that is not your primary. I like that. Spoken yeah. language. A, a, secondary. a secondary language of some sort for you, whatever that means. Um, which could be English, I mean, mm-hmm. depending on what your first language was. I have students I, in the studio that that's the case for them right now. I've had some previously. Sure. Um, and so I had also actually, for our degree here, redone the entrance requirements that, okay. that the master's degree they just had to sing five selections of their choosing one of which had to be in a secondary language love that which if style was irrelevant i love that and so i needed to adapt the repertoire course to fit that to fit and the first time i was teaching it that you know because obviously these things take time and you have to get curriculum changes approved and blah 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 Mm -hmm. and so the first time i actually ended up teaching the course the way I, I, you know, would love to see a course like this. Although I think courses like this maybe are not as necessary anymore. And I'll say why in a second. But I think that I think that one of the things that let's say you don't teach a class in this vocal fan, but let's say in your voice pedagogy class, you include a small unit or even one lecture on how to choose repertoire. Like it might just be as simple as you get one class session Mm-hmm. And like even in our Nat Science and Foreign Voice Pedagogy curriculum, we've included a class in both in, in, in whatever plan you're using on there should be a class on how to choose repertoire. Yeah, no, it's a skill. Right. And so this may only apply to you for your class, one class, but even that would be of value. And so it was also the same semester mm-hmm. where Nats was launching our CM categories, our yeah. children and youth categories. Yeah. And so what seemed to make sense to me 
and and please realize that even this is limited in its scope. Mm-hmm. Okay. I chose to do a third of the course how to choose repertoire basically like if you think of a semester five weeks five weeks five weeks i did a third of the class how to choose repertoire for classical western singing and we added to our database yeah uh we created a new database in five weeks of how to choose repertoire for musical theater singers love that and then we did the same thing on how to choose repertoire for what we just went we just went ahead and matched nats you just called it like CM. CM. I like that. I have, I don't like that term, but, but I went ahead and made it streamlined, I guess. Yeah. Well, also you have to acknowledge that it is a semester. Like there is only so much you can fit. And so there has to be some right. lumping. Right. And so when we did it, I actually want to, I forgot. I wanted to pull my syllabus up. Oh. Um, uh-huh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're so popular. I can't. I, I, I just, I. I'm not. The well, only people that text me are, hey, your baby just ate. Hey, he had a poopy diaper, just letting you know. Vocal fam, let me tell you what. Just the, the, the amount of texts and phone calls and emails. So, um. The syllabi. Yeah, so what I did was in the in the classical section of the class, mm-hmm. I still kept it um, focused on art song, folk song, rather than arias. Okay. Like, I did not let them include oratorio or opera arias, except we did discuss in the first week when we were talking about the criteria we were going to consider yeah we did discuss why we weren't including opera and oratorio okay and let me just say now before we talk about some criteria of what we what we looked at and how we examined western classical repertoire mm-hmm. we I, I choose to i chose to keep opera out of it because i have kind of a philosophy that in order to choose operatic repertoire well for your students, and I would include oratorio in this, mm-hmm. I think it's far more than just knowing the range, the tessitura, the difficulty of the music. Sure. It is more what kind of voice can carry this role in an opera in house. In actual professional setting. In a, in a space. Yeah. And that requires you to have been exposed to Two. voices in acoustics and have an understanding of the kind of sound you need to yeah, make. Yeah, very much. Whereas that. if you're considering assigning Schumann's Liederkreis Opus 24, sure. that could be performed in so many different Venues. small spaces sure. that you don't have the same vocal n- demand knowledge mm-hmm. um so as you might imagine when we were looking at western classical repertoire we used a lot of the same characteristic definitions that a lot of those texts that i had mentioned have historically looked at sure language obviously we marked the composer yeah the poet 
we end up classifying it with some sort of difficulty level. Yes. Either moderately easy, moderate, or moderately difficult, which are the same categories that we used when we did the Britain Song Database that yeah. my wife also used in her dissertation on the songs of Carl Goldmark. Sure. Um, and the reason, the reason we use those 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 categories of moderately easy, moderate, and moderately difficult, mm-hmm. I don't know that there is inherently a song that is inherently Easy. easy depends on your singer to a degree Correct. what they struggle with what Correct. they excel at um because for some singers singing twinkle twinkle little star could be a basic nursery rhyme kind of pattern could be very difficult well because depending on their motor skill acquisition i mean that's a fifth i mean that that in and sure. of itself is could be difficult yeah um so we use a lot of moderately easy. We're looking for a lot of moderately easy songs, and then we sure. and then we t- and then obviously within the class we discuss like what do we what what are our characteristics? Yeah, what makes something moderately easy? Is yeah, stepwise. Do you have does the accompaniment double the melody? Yeah, and we're, and and we're looking at those kind of characteristics, and then we make notes of those kind of things, which is always very helpful too. Uh, we 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 I ask them to characterize the rough average difficulty of the piano part yeah because you as a teacher might be playing this or or you need to know if you're just throwing it in front of a pianist yeah is this going to be something you could take to an audition or is your or is the pianist going to hate you afterwards for example like a, a perfect example of that is like there are britain folk songs that are not difficult to sing but and you look at the piano part and you go "Ooh, oh 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 <laughs> <laughs> maybe no um you always put the range. I don't know if we said that. Yeah, range, of course. And, and and obviously, and you know, it's interesting. And we always have them indicate the key, but not the key signature, just the number of sharps and flats so we know what yeah. key we're talking about because the key might not be how many sharps and flats there are, yes. obviously, yeah. particularly in more modern music. Um, we have them indicate if it's from a cycle or a larger work or whatever. And then for years and years and years, I've, I've asked them to include wherever possible for stuff in public domain, the IMSLP link. Yes, just where where did you get this? Um, and even though they end up like always being outdated and errored and whatever, if if they can include a YouTube or Spotify link. Oh sure, just something so you can. But you that's know. important too because personally, a lot of my students don't read music, and I need to be able to point them to a recording. Right. Right. And so obviously, like you were just kind of alluding to, and you know, when we're talking about the classical stuff, we're always looking for the other kind of characteristics. Does the, the piano part double the melody? What is the, is the, is the, does it have a lot of leaps? Is it stepwise? What's the tessitura? Even if the range is doable. Do the lines descend or yeah. ascend? Are there a lot of chromatics? Um, are, is the coloratura or you always had us look at the text too. Well, and and that has evolved, I think, a lot for me, because like you know, as we've taken gender out of consideration of things. Yes. And I've even tried to like take anything of like considering, like anything involving ageism or or anything like that. Sure. I, I do think that that you can discuss like a poem from different aspects in with from different life experiences sure because i think most most 20 year olds singing richard strauss's morgan might have a different take on the poetry than many 60 year olds yeah 
just, you know, and I don't think many of us would argue with that. At the same time, there are a lot of 20-year-olds who have been through some really terrible things. In fact, all of our 20-year-olds have already been through a global pandemic. Well, and are going to bring different life experiences to the poetry. That's kind of, to me, a great mark of poetry is that anybody can appreciate it, but in different ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I I do find it helpful, just as somebody who has goobered a few times, uh, that we would talk about... Oh, the maturity of the text sometimes just in that like, hey, don't give this to a six-year-old because it's not actually about a cat. She's referring to the Breta leader, vocal fam, if you know that Because sometimes word. you think, wow, this would be really cute for like a little kid that wants to sing. No, and it's not. It, no. And you just are dumb. Just a little, a little the word we'll use maybe is naive. And, 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 and so obviously, you know, when you're, you know, this this speaks to actually then something we talk about in the class, which is if you're actually... I think we need to reconsider whether overall, and we talked to this about this a lot in the class this last fall, mm-hmm. is it our job to just assign repertoire to students? Or is it a or discussion? It, yeah. Is it a discussion? Is it a... Sure. You know, I think it... I, I like to think of repertoire, a singer's repertoire, and with a teacher involved as an ongoing dialogue. Yeah, oh, big agree. Like the whole thing is an ongoing dialogue yeah. of what's possible. Yeah. What they'd like. Sure. What they feel comfortable with. Sure. Um and and and, and that kind of thing. All right, so let me, let me obviously as you might imagine vocal fam, when we did um classical music, we we did break it down by language just because it's easier to It's a great way to start to to classify and it's it's just easier to keep it organized. But the one thing I also want to say about classical stuff cuz this is one of the other things that I that I wanted to do in the class was if you are out there looking for classical repertoire, Mhm. I want you to go back to an episode from 2019 or early 2020 that we did with Seth Keaton yes. um, on on his project Song, Song Helix. Helix. Um, I think Song Helix is one of the most important voice scholarship things that's happened in the last 20 years. Absolutely. And um, it is easily the best online resource for, for trying to recital program, mm-hmm. for, you know, if you're looking for... Because his his database has like way more stuff in it than my measly little spreadsheet that we've made over these years. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great, ha- it's a wonderful made. resource to, that is available. Right. So then the next five weeks after we did the five weeks, because I sure. went ahead and just started with classical. Listen, I'm not trying to make it more important. It's just how we did it. Well, something has something, something has to, to be first. first. Um. And it also allowed them to see the entire huge database that we've built over all the years. Sure, to kind of understand how to kind of pattern theirs. Right, exactly, precisely that. So then I went ahead and did musical theater next. Fun. And what I did was, because they don't get this anywhere else in the degree, Mm -hmm. I actually took week one, Mm -hmm. because some of these students are non-domestic students, who weren't sure, really that sure, fam- sure. necessarily that familiar with American music. Well, one of them was, but not necessarily w- that familiar with musical theater. Yeah. And um, and we did, uh, I gave them in a lecture, mm-hmm. the history of musical theater. Basically from kind of origins oh, okay. to showboat. Yeah. And then showboat 
on to like Hamilton. Hamil- Love it. Um, roughly. Um, which is a fun lecture and oh yeah, you know what have you. But at least then they had some knowledge. Mm-hmm. However, the what one of the things I want to say about like the repertoire dialogue with that we talked about a lot when we were looking at musical theater songs is it it's in some ways although different in some ways it's similar to picking like an art song Sure. But in some ways, picking musical theater repertoire is a little bit more akin to picking opera arias. Yeah. Because you kind of need to know the character in the show. Yeah, you need to know. Well, depending on your student, you need to know. Like, if there's someone who's considering this somewhat professionally or is, or even doing, like, going out and auditioning, Auditions. period, what is a role that you might actually be selected for? Well, I think even more so than that. I think the important thing, because I think that gets us into like the fact that we really need to be pro colorblind casting. We really need to be pro body, um, body positivity casting. Sure. But I think that I think that the 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 thing that always needs to be considered is, I'm going into an audition for Mean Girls. Uh, what well, yeah. kind of things would I sing for an audition, audition for, for Mean, mean Girls? girls. That show your voice well. That you know show what I mean? Yep. Yeah, no, I totally get you. Even outside of like character type, which is still a consideration, regardless of what you really look like. Like there are characters that you just, some people carry themselves easier but one way or say, another. I, I have found personally, like I think I prefer and do better in kind of more character roles. Like don't and make than me. having a, to be an ingenue. Yeah. Don't ask me to be a leading lady. Sure. Don't don't ask me to be an ingenue to have a love interest or like nah I'd rather make you laugh. Um, and 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 and, and again that obviously is part of the dialogue you're having with your students. Sure. But even with your like young teens and kids, mm-hmm. if they're auditioning for a musical, it's with a kids ensemble or kids roles. It's still a conversation. To it, be- it it has to be a conversation of what kind of song do I need to audition with. Yeah, and it's very interesting, especially with children, because that's still a lot of what I teach. Because um, they so often, it's like, oh, but I like this song. And and you have to say, like, okay, that's great. We can do some stuff like that. But if you're wanting to audition for this and you're wanting, you know, a lead, a support, a, a role, then we need to pick a song that is going to showcase how you would sound like, or is going to make the sort of sounds that you would make in the show that is going to show the casting directors, here are some sounds I can make that are useful to you. And so one of the things I encouraged the students to do as they looked through mm-hmm. musical theater repertoire, which, by the way, I ended up organizing those weeks by era. Yeah, that makes sense. So we basically did pre-Oklahoma. Like, okay. Then cool. we did Oklahoma to hair. Oh, yeah. Uh, basically Oklahoma to body mics yeah then we did um hair to rent okay sure and then we did rent to hamilton rent to, rent to hamilton yeah um and i mean obviously i didn't care if it was something after hamilton well yeah you're not gonna be like no get out of here it with your been 2024 I, I didn't yeah. care um but uh 
I encouraged them. So like when we were looking at classical repertoire, you know, we were always talking about, you know, classical singers always want to know the range. Sure. And I think musical theater singers want to know that. To a degree. But one of the things that's a little bit different, I think like classical singers, particularly depending on voice type and whatever, they are really concerned about the tessitura. Mm -hmm. A lot of times in musical theater singing, we're really concerned about are these notes mixed? Are they yeah. belt? Yeah, how high do I need are they, belt? Is it legit? Am I living in belt? You Am know. I living in chest mix or head mix? Right. Yeah. And, and so I encourage them to listen mm-hmm. to, like, you know, performers do these things. Yeah. Because there's the other thing of, if I may, with a lot of musical theater repertoire, particularly contemporary musical theater repertoire, there's the noise that I can make on a cast recording, and then there's the noise that I can make eight times a week. E- yes, that are very different. And those noises there. might not be the same noise. Yes. And gosh, when you're trying to educate voice teachers about how to work with these singers, yeah, you need to educate them on these are the types of noises that... Are sustainable? Are sustainable. Are low cost. Correct. Where, you know, you have your high impact, high auditory roughness, low chord impact noises. Yeah. That. That you can make over and over. That you can make over and over and over again. And if they're going to, if they, if they actually want to work professionally and they're going to New York and they just go in blasting. Casting directors know right away. Oh, well. They can't do that. They'll never make that. Yeah. They'll never make that eight times a week. Yeah. And so um, so it was it was a wonderful way for us to, for me to expose these students to this repertoire mm-hmm. from a more varied perspective. Oh, I forgot to say this. Okay. This, also this fall. Okay. I made a change. Okay. So the course you took, you brought right. in your you brought in your list of songs yes. that you had analyzed. Yes. You presented some, we listened to some. Yeah. We looked at them, we moved on. Mhm. This year, every week everything that they did, they also had to sing something. I love that. So one of the pieces that they brought and I encouraged them to make the thing that they were singing one of their moderately easy selections. And obviously, I didn't care if this was memorized. Oh, you know, that would be a lot. But, like, to see, when you sing it, is it actually moderately easy? Because sometimes you think something's easy until you actually Bingo. It. Yeah. Exactly that. And I gave them the choice okay. in all these units. Okay. I can play it. You can play it. Or we can use a track. I love that. Even for the classical stuff, just to make our lives easier. I love that. Because I don't have a, you know, staff accompanist for this class. But also, the, how realistic to what it would be. You l- would may have to do in a studio. <laughs> yep. And I think it was wonderful sometimes when they had to be playing their songs. Sure. Because it, I think it, it makes you realize like what the pianist's requirements sometimes are. Well, that's it because some one of the things I've learned from having to accompany my own students is sometimes you can look at it and it looks like a simple enough accompaniment, but you're not taking into consideration the interaction between the pianist and the singer. Exactly. That can make it that much more difficult. <laughs> and I, one of the other reasons that I made the 
the weeks the way I made them in mm-hmm. the eras mm-hmm. is because I still think that when you're making and and helping a student again, it could be a ten year old. Oh yeah. Or a twenty year old or a forty year old. I think that it's important that you are building a varied book. Yeah. And so often, I mean, having taught musical theaters for music, musical theaters, Eh. musical theater singers for my entire career now as, you know, one of the focuses of my studio, so many like people who are like really into it. Well, it's interesting. I see less of this. Years and years ago, everybody wanted to be the star and everybody just wanted to die on their sword on stage. Oh, sure. Now... I I see in our younger people, I even include my son in this, who's turned into a giant musical theater nerd. Sure, sure. And I say that with most the most loving kindness, because I'm a musical theater nerd. Yeah. Um, he loves doing character stuff. It's fun. It's because fun because he's realized, oh, I get to just have fun. It's not as much stress. Right. It's it is fun. I mean, listen, Tenardier has the most fun in Les Mis. Yeah. Oh, you can still the show. is sweating his butt off all, all night. All night. is trying to not crack all night. Yep. <laughs> you know. Why not same just with, have a same good with time? Ep- same with Eponine. I mean, you know. Why not? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and not that this is like a, a fun, like fun isn't funny, but like Fantine, you get your big number, you die, but then you're what everyone remembers. Or you're a big part of what everybody remembers. It's like, it's like literally being queen of the night. Yeah. Tamino and Pamina work their butt off all night. No one cares. They are here to hear someone dream a dream or da 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 you know. And hear the people sing. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so that was that's a little bit about the musical theater stuff. I just, please, when you're considering repertoire for musical theater singers, make a varied book. Still have something. Listen. There is a reason that revivals of Guys and Dolls, Oklahoma, oh, all of these musicals, Cinderella, My Fair all, Lady, yes, th- they still get done is because they're beautiful scores and they, are. they sell tickets. Well, and I, I feel like I often have a conversation with my students too where I'm like, look, look, listen to me. You're going to listen to this and you're going to go, eh, I don't know. But then you're going to sing it and all of a sudden something about singing this song, you're going to love it. It is fun to sing exactly and nine times out of ten because like usually i have that conversation with students who've been with me a little bit and that we have some trust there and they're like okay i'll give it a shot and they end up usually loving the song and i'm like there are some songs that are just really fun to sing exactly so then the last five weeks um we we turned into um commercial music CM. Yeah, again our cm category kind of stuff and i i did divide the i divided this by style I love in, that. instead Good. and and listen it was not perfectly inclusive don't don't come at one me. semester is not enough to be perfectly inclusive so, of any of these so we did a pop week because cool. there's lots of pop there is a lot of pop. And that, that covers a varied and a umbrella lot of, of a lot of things, pop. particularly of different decades. So, yeah. I mean, and, and the students did a good job of bringing in really various Great. things from like pop, yacht rock to things like MJ to... Love that. Uh, you know... Taylor Swift. Uh, uh, without question. Yeah. Um, then uh, to, to a, a, I mean, do we call Adele 
I don't, I don't know. Pop. Um, uh, it just depends. Um, Some of her stuff. I mean, that's like saying, would you call, you could bring Taylor Swift in on country week. Yeah. I think you can bring Adele in on multiple weeks. And so then we did a, a rock week. Yeah. Okay. Then we did um, an R&B hip hop week. Love that. Um, loved like having Eminem against. Okay. Uh, you know, like that week we had Eminem Jasmine Sullivan and ag- stuff like that. against like, you know, just, I mean, it, against some uh, John Legend. Mm-hmm. Again, I mean, it just, it was just, yeah, it was really wonderful. Um, because I'll tell you what, you, you look at some of those lyrics like Lil Nas or whatever. And man, getting those lyrics out is so hard. Impressive. So intricate. Um, uh, then we did a folk country week just because people. You know what? It's a big market. A lot for of my that. students really like to sing that. Yeah, there's a big market for that. And it's helpful. I find country to be very useful with people who are not comfortable in mix yet. Sure. And want to get better sure. in mix. Sure, sure. Of course. I mean, anything from the chicks to, to any of the Carrie Underwood stuff to whatever. Van Perry, yeah. Josh Turner. I, I went through a hardcore country phrase that has, when I was in high school that has been very useful to me with with the number of students I have that want to sing country. Yeah. But anyway, one of the things I encouraged them to do as well mm-hmm. um, was look for... Because we talked about this earlier and I want to address this. One of the things that I think is important for any singer... Okay. Is an ability to sing in a language that is not their own. Yeah. And understand the skill that it takes, how to levels. sing in different styles. Yeah. Um, and in different languages within some of these styles. So, like, we had K-pop songs. Delightful. Y- you know, we had, um, I remember in musical theater, we had um, Leah Salonga singing uh, a musical theater song in 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 Filipino. I love that. Um you know, uh I, uh one week we had um oh, I can't say the name of the band now. Uh everything's in Spanish. Um That's cool. Oh shoot. And somebody and and one of the students sang that live in class. Fun. With, with accompanying themselves on guitar. Oh my gosh, that's Gypsy awesome. Kings. Gypsy Kings. Oh, okay. Um, I was like, why can't I not say the name of this band? Um, I couldn't help you. But, and, and, and we had such just a wide, one of the students actually brought it, added one of their own originals. Okay, I, I bet I could even guess who that was. To the sheet. But I mean, isn't that awesome? Yes, it is. Well, you know, because, I mean, again, also, you're going to have students that bring you their original songs. Without question. And that's what a challenge from a teaching standpoint mm. to like, to be sitting there with someone who wrote the song and to I tell agree. them how, like, at that point, I guess you're just like, hey, let's make some artistic choices well, or do you is there something that you're wanting to belt that you are not able to so or? one of the things that I talked with them about is when I teach a singer in one of these styles uh-huh. I think so much of it is about helping the person find their, their voice sound yeah and this is one of the things that we talked about that was different from that we talked about this a lot in the class and I'm so glad we, we ended up landing here because this is kind of like a big take home point sure when we're teaching Western classical singing, mm-hmm. we have anywhere from 
up to about four or five hundred years of canon. Yeah. Of your standard practice. Of performance practice. Yeah. And and now, you know, with everything trying to be historically informed performance, you know, all the hipsters uh-huh, out there, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, shout out to all you hipsters who are, you know, n- making sure we do Bach at 415 and, and the Ladia. But, um, and even with musical theater now, yeah, there's performance practice standards. Yeah. Like, we don't sing Oklahoma like 1947 anymore. No, but... You know what? I bet inevitably 20, 30 years from now, there will be a, some big push to, to do some historically accurate Oklahoma. Probably. Probably. Like, uh, it all, it's all patterns. Uh, exactly. But when you're teaching those styles, it's about knowing... What you're doing right now. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And so we talked about that a lot. And But with, but with contemporary styles, like with pop styles and rock styles and, and uh, hip-hop and R&B and whatever... For one thing, I mean, we have about as much canon as we do with musical theater sure. because we also, you know, I let them include, you know, obviously in the musical theater unit, but also then in the CM unit, I let them include Great American Songbook stuff. Oh, you know, well, yeah, I mean, your, your and, jazz. And so we have, well, so much of the early musical theater stuff that's pre-Oklahoma is, is the Great American Songbook yes. tunes. Yeah. And, um, you know, so much of that is how do we approach you know, these songs, Mm -hmm. but with like, again, just going back to the idea with the, you know, if you're singing, sitting on the dock of the bay, you could sing it like Otis Redding. Sure. You could try to, but you could also sing it like yourself. Yeah. Yeah. All kinds of different styles. You, I, I really enjoy, there's been, I mean, you could, I say trends on TikTok, but it's also YouTube and anywhere where people take um, the one I'm thinking of is someone takes like Sondheim songs and sings them in a folk style. Exactly. Like indie folk. Exactly. And people will do that where they'll take like, oh, I'm going to take this. Taylor Swift just keeps coming to mind because everybody, I feel like everyone wants to sing Taylor Swift right now. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Love my Swifties. Um, but take a Taylor Swift song and sing it in a hard rock style. Right. Like I love taking I love hearing people take a song from Which one I genre mean, and completely cross with, over. With her basic chord structures, that would not be difficult. Oh, it's at not all. I actually quite enjoy teaching Taylor Swift songs because they are very <laughs> easy, easy to play. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, but but obviously um there are also in these styles songs that maybe don't have as big a range at the same time. Then you look at a Whitney Houston song. Oh my gosh! And you're, oh my or, gosh. or or a Michael Jackson song, and you're like, how do I do this? Some of the Adele stuff, you know, or I mean, Led Zeppelin. Like we had a oh. bunch of Zeppelin one week in the Rock Week, and Aerosmith. it's like, oh my gosh, the range. Queen. I, I also loved, obviously, because obviously every time I do this, I learn repertoire as well. Uh-huh. But like in this unit, like I didn't know who Laufey was. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah. What a great singer. Well, and then, so it's funny you say that, like, learning or whatever. I feel like we, we almost have to have a whole other episode on the conversations you have with your singers in picking rep, like when you're actually picking rep yeah. in the studio. Yeah. But I've learned so many new artists, musicals, mm-hmm. whatnot, from having these conversations with students of, like, okay, let's talk about what you want to sing, yep. what I think would sound good in your voice, and blah, blah, like those conversations. It, it, Exactly. 
Exactly. And theoretically, we all love music, so. So ideally, fun. let's expand our horizons. Yeah. As you're introducing repertoire selection in your course, come on, let let's expand our let's expand our horizons. Yeah. Well, also like take take a step into the. 21st century friends. you know and i remember when we were doing english you know and and, it, and it's so varied right it's yeah. it's so i remember getting to introduce to this group this class the idea of you know when, when we were doing english art song week we did uh we looked at um lute song somebody brought in a lute song amazing and I got to introduce them to Sting's Lute Song album. Yes, which but you then know, I mean, ready to know about. But then he re-recorded Fields of Gold on that album oh. with the lutenist. Beautiful. Lutist? Lutist? Loutist? I don't know. Whatever. Um, and if you're a lutist, lutenist, let loutist, us know. Let us know how to say that. Um, and it's it's one of my favorite performances of all time. I mean, I just you know because I'm also Good a huge thing. Sting fan, so sorry. That's my husband. You can, loves. you can come at me in that regard. That's fine. I don't think anyone's. That's my personal. I don't think just, anyone's that's, that's for a personal you. preference thing. Well, I don't think you're. I think you're safe. So enough. anyway, vocal fam, just like like, I I really think that I think we were the first repertoire course to do this in North America and actually present this in this way. Woo! But I'll definitely be doing my repertoire selection lectures, even if I no longer teach a rep course in mm -hmm. this regard. My, like my lecture, we will definitely be approaching from this multifaceted I love it. perspective. Um, I love it. So anyway, we're a little over time. Sarah, what did you have for breakfast? Oh, more of those little like granola breakfast protein bar things in my cup of half-calf coffee. Nice. Woo! Nice. Well, I'm drinking full-calf coffee. I'm jealous. Most All of the day. All y'all out there. And, uh, yeah. So yeah. we'll be back at you next week. Uh, Sarah wants to do an episode on... Um, kind of how to get a job in academia and <laughs> considering then also like once you get a job what do you have to do for promotion and tenure um and uh just a glimpse into that world so we're gonna we're gonna try to do that in the coming weeks since i'm coming off of a job yeah search uh it's kind of fresh in my mind and um I'm She's about to be about to, to be mentoring DMA students again, and yeah. and uh, so we're gonna we're gonna do an episode on that coming up. Uh, I'll probably try to see if I can, we can bring in a guest on that if if I can arrange it. But our schedule's still a mess, so we'll see. We've anyway, Vocal Fam, that's it for us. It's been we'll be, real. It's been real. We'll be back soon. Bye. Bye.